Hi, Carolyn. Can you tell us Hi. who you are and where you're calling us from? I am Carolyn Winaldev, but my close friends and my family call me Olin, and I am actually calling from Oahu. It's exciting. So tell yeah. us about yourself and just give us like a 30 second rundown of your business. And um, I am actually not from Oahu. My studio is not in Oahu. I'm here photographing um, shoots on location, but my studio is in Sacramento, California, and um, I photograph mostly boudoir, but I also photograph other genres. And I'm originally from um, Indonesia and spent some time in Singapore and then migrated to California when I went there for college. Um, went there for art school, which there wasn't any really like art schools back in the day in Indonesia. And then kind of stayed and just started um, my business and, um, just kind of became more of an American artist. So, yeah. So I know you're extremely artistic. How did that start? You know, I, part of my family is Balinese and Bali is everybody there is art is just like a part of our life. Um, the village that my mom's family is from, all the men do woodwork. And so I was always exposed to it. All the women um, danced. So we started dancing in the temples since we were like four years old. And my family has always been incredibly artistic. Um, and just, I was really blessed to have that encouraged as I was growing up, but never for it to be a career, right? Because typically Asian kids are like, you can be an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer, and then that's it. And um, I went to engineering school first, tried to be like the good Asian daughter, and then found out it wasn't for me. And I broke apart and I went to art school and I broke my dad's heart and, um, and then just kind of had to do my own thing. Uh, how's he taking that now? Are you with your super successful photography business? Well, he, um, he passed about eight years ago, uh, but... He was, I think he was like initially really shocked at the fact that I could make a, you know, a photo and back then I was also a graphic designer, um, like a real business out of it. And he's an entrepreneur. So as soon as he was ready to like get over that shock and like saying goodbye to his like younger little daughter. Um, and I also never moved back home. I'm the only one here. My whole entire family's back there. So I'm kind of like the black sheep that just kind of does whatever she wants to do. Um, but as soon as he was ready to let that go, it kind of opened up for a new relationship between us. And he was able to give me kind of like business advice. And one of the biggest business advice I've ever gotten was from him. So it was pretty cool to still have that like art and business march together. Nice. And what do you look forward to the most nowadays? I know you said you shoot a couple of genres, but yeah, on Monday, Monday starting, what's your favorite part? Oh my gosh, so much. I, this is, I think for me, it's like the artist dream, right? That I can get up and do what I love every single day. Um, and I'm constantly producing things. And actually that was the reason why I left engineering school is because I was learning how to be an engineer and I was making things that were made up, but I could never see the things that I was creating or making, you know, because engineering projects are big and expensive. 
But with art, I can, I'm constantly making every day. And that's how I just relate to the world. That's kind of my oxygen. And so being able to do that with a team that I've assembled that are amazing and makes me laugh every day. I'm in the studio with them and I get to meet people from different walks of life and just really be in my flow. And we are very spiritual people in Bali and we really believe in connecting to our greater purpose that our divine assignment as humans are is to find out how we can serve the world. And so for me, my photography is my way of serving my community and the people around me. So it's pretty amazing that I get to do that. So I'm very, very blessed. That's awesome. I um, And the cool thing about you is like, you are like a pure artist at heart where, you know, a lot of people, sometimes they get into things for the money and stuff like that. And that's yeah. fine. Um, but like, I know for my daughter, she, any minute of the day, if she, no matter what she's doing, watching TV, walking around, she always has a pencil in her hand. She's always drawing. Um, but after you telling me that story about your dad, like I've definitely realized like, while I do want her to learn all the tech things, I do really also want her to like get really good at what she does. And even I even have her training on Fridays and working with my employees to see, you know, how she can apply her yeah. skills. But it's really lucky that like, you're really good naturally at it. And like, you do a lot of your own graphic design and all your brands have like really stellar branding. Yeah, I, 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 in the, like, if you live the day with me, I'm constantly, I think like my partner, Josh, he's always, he thought I was always on Instagram on Pinterest playing, but even though it seems like playing, I think I'm constantly like absorbing. I'm, you know, grew up looking at magazines, looking at movies, music videos, and kind of like just absorbing everything. And I think that's something that I've learned to do as a kid. And even just like going to museums and constantly exposing myself to learn and beauty, because I think our responsibility as artists is to find the beauty in the world, amass everything, and then kind of like spit it out in our own way. Um, so I I love that. Like it's just become part of my daily practice, you know? And um, I have my mom to thank too, that whatever medium we wanted to pick up, she just kind of let us go with it, even though we didn't have a lot of money in Indonesia. She just kind of like let us do whatever. And she, so I have... I was raised in a household with a lot of kids. She, they, my parents adopted a bunch of our cousins. So at any given time, there was anywhere from seven to 15 children in the house. Like it was a big household. And she let us draw one on one whole entire wall. She just would paint that over once a year to give us a fresh new easel. But she let us just like markers, which were expensive, pencils, whatever we want to do, we can just draw it. So we were always kind of exposed to that. And then the other thing that I'm really blessed with is that in Bali and in a lot of, um, I think, poorer nations and all of Indonesia, we are raised with the notion that our happiness comes when we're aligned with our divine purpose and what we are supposed to do in the flow. And it's not in financial terms, you know, in monetary form. So, and once you're aligned with that, the universe will take care of you because you're doing what the universe is supposed to have you do. Like you're, you're fulfilling your duties as a human. And so my focus has always been that and everything just kind of falls together. So I was never like, I don't, 
never had this feeling of like, I had to own a big house. I had to own this. I had to own that. I, it was just a very different writing principle for me. It's cool. So it's like more process and journey instead of like the end state. Yeah. So what do you do outside of work when you're not being an amazing artist? Um, <laughs> if drawing and stuff doesn't um, I love my dogs. I used to also be a dog trainer. I used to do this sport called agility where you run with your dog and they jump and they climb and you tell them what to do. I don't do that a whole lot anymore because that takes a lot of time, but I love being around my dogs and just playing with them. I actually, I love training animals and getting them to do what I want. I think it's pretty cool, like, you know, tricks. And then I, believe it or not, I relax doing jigsaw puzzles. Like, nice. That's, you know. I my mind doesn't have to think it just happens and sometimes I don't even look at the box it just it just happens so I don't have to think at all so background in graphic design and all these mediums when did you know you were going to be a photographer or like when did you switch that on to be a, make it your profession it's so funny so like way back when I actually started art school with a photography concentration and this was before you know before digital this was only film and um, I remember going to, to college, like starting my class in the morning, it was dark, especially in the wintertime. I come out of the, the dark room and it was dark and I felt like a vampire, almost like I never see the sunlight. And it was starting to just really bug me because being Indonesian, we're always out, you know? And then um, I started getting a reaction, a skin reaction to the fixer, you know, the old chemicals and things like that. and. I switched to graphic design because I just like the fumes in the dark room and everything, it just wasn't driving right with my body. I switched to graphic design and it was actually really hard for me to just pick one thing to focus on in terms of art and design because I love painting, I love drawing, you know? And um, it wasn't until years after that, I was at a dog competition. I had a digital camera and um, I started taking pictures of my friend's dogs because we would be there for an hour, not doing anything, waiting for our next run in the competition. And everybody loves their dogs. Everybody wants photos of their dogs. So I just started doing that for my friends. And then, um, then their friends had pictures of their dogs and it just like grew. And within two months, I remember like there was a competition. It's like, hey, can you just come and take pictures of all our dogs and we'll waive your entry fees for the competition. And then I was like doing graphic design and that and juggling that while that was growing. So that's kind of how it grew. It was just kind of more organic. What, what year was that when you were started with the, the dogs? Oh my gosh. I think it was like 2000. Wow. 2000. Yeah. Maybe like 2000, 2002. I wasn't done with school yet, you know, and I was still just trying to juggle all this stuff. So, Yeah. Okay, so the title of this was, we were talking about that movie, Everything All at Once. Yes. So uh, you explained the beginning, but like you, most photographers would like spend their whole lives trying to like just build one of these. Um, but you, I actually went through your profile and there was like six or seven different <laughs> There's Boudoir, which you're exceptional at. There's seniors, there's pets, Giggle and Riot, which is photo booths, and of course, weddings. So 
yeah, what order were these built in? And yeah, tell us about that. I think, well, for sure the pets came first, but it was competitive pet photography. It was sport and action. And I actually got to travel around America, work with ESPN, American Kennel Club, Purina, and photograph dogs in competition. And then I started doing weddings because it's funny, you're missing one site, actually. <laughs> Which one? Brand photos, <laughs> the branding one. So brand photos by Owen. Um, um, is it here? I don't even know if I put it on there yet because I was like, it's too much. <laughs> I don't use my Facebook a whole lot anymore. Um, and so from there, I started weddings because I miss telling a story. Um, and yeah, that's the one that's um, a refer. Yeah. And so I started doing weddings from that. And then I was doing weddings for a while. I was also traveling around the country doing that. I had a lot of fun. And right about towards the end of it, my dad and my brother and my grandma all died together. And I was diagnosed with um, my chronic illness. I have chronic cat B. And I got really sick. And so I kind of like have this like come to Jesus moment. Like, what do I really want to do? And I started working with more women for Boudoir and found that that was really like where my heart was and launched that um, right before COVID, which is awesome. And actually it all turned out great. Like COVID did me wonders and um, kept pushing that. And then I had women that were working with me and said, you make us feel so awesome after our photo shoot. Can you help us with our daughters? And I have a teen stepdaughter at that time. And so we started doing teens and I was photographing her anyways. And I wanted to help the girls right when they were starting to really confront their bodies and issues as a woman and growing up and teenage years and all this stuff. So that's how that came about. And then my clients was also, can you do my headshots and can you help me with my branding photos because I'm also an entrepreneur. And I love doing that because it kind of really ties in with my branding background and all the branding knowledge I have as a graphic designer. That's what I actually focus on as a graphic designer was identity systems and building brands. So that's how all that came about. And this is like the complete opposite. Anytime I work with photographers, I'm always like, focus on one thing. Uh, but I will say they seldomly, most don't ever get to even the proficiency of one of these sites, which is super expensive. Not sorry, like super expansive and very, um, yeah, just great work. Um, but tell me about weddings. I know you said you, you know, got sick doing that, but even before we met and before we started, you know, on this like, you know, marketing journey, you were already like doing really well. Like, what would you attribute that to? Like you were doing really well. You had, you know, you were charging a great rate. Like, yeah. How did that, how yeah. was that journey in weddings? Honestly, I think what remains true for all my genres and all the things that I do, whether it's photography or design or anything or photo booths, we didn't even touch on that. Um, is the dedication to the nature of the craft itself and to the story and to the client. So first and foremost, I will say that I'm an artist and an artist at heart. The day that I have to stop creating, I will like fall over and die. I, like, I honestly will. 
Um, and that's what happened to me in engineering school, right? Like I felt so small, so squished, like I was deprived of oxygen. And for me, when I'm like creating anything, anything at all, um, that's how I breathe. And so even with weddings, just remaining really true to my style, my vision, my craft, who I am as a person, who I am as a storyteller, and who my clients are, connecting with really great people, and telling their story, and just being a conduit for whatever is supposed to come through me from the universe. Um, and I know that that sounds really weird for a lot of people, but that's what I, in my in my heart, I believe artists do. Like we're a conduit for the universe to put into physical like form all these things in the world. And whether it's love, stories, whatever it is, that's what my focus is. Uh, so... Tell me, like, how did, I mean, if I was to guess, I would say, obviously, you know, you're very dedicated to the creativity, the work, and it speaks for itself. Um, but yeah, how did, one problem that most photographers have is like, some might be extremely talented, but like, then they don't get many bookings or clients, or they never get out of like, the just creating for fun. Um, so what was, what did you focus on to like, really make this, you know, profitable in a career? Yeah, I think having a great team, especially as you grow, is really important. I'm very, very blessed to have an amazing team of ladies that work with me. And I don't always think of them as working for me. We're a team together and I value the input. Um, so they are active in the decisions that we make. And um, and they've been pretty amazing. Um, one of them was one of our clients. Ellie was actually one of our clients that started doing our calls. Emily's my associate photographer. Kayla has been with me for years. She's my studio manager. She's here in Hawaii with us. You know, like Caitlin runs the studio. Brooke helps me with my social media. Marisol is our editor um, because we try to keep all our editing in-house. So just having that community-driven mindset, I think is extremely important. I know that a lot of artists have, a, and even entrepreneurs, I think, have a very difficult time letting go and trusting somebody else. But I think just trusting the whole process and trusting that the universe is going to give you what you're supposed to do. And um, you can build a great community around you. And the fact that if... For me, I'm, I'm, my mission is to empower women through my photography, but it's not just our clients. It's also my team, right? And the people that are around me. And so that's like a huge thing for me. And then just having focus, having um, a plan and a structured plan. I am, you should see my notes like on my phone, it's filled with like, okay, here's an idea, here's, here's how I like carry it out. These are the things that I need to do, my action plan, what we're lacking, what we're needing. And so I tend to do that a lot with projects, you know, and in December and January, I'm usually focusing on our marketing campaign for the whole entire year per month per brand. So then I know what we're doing, um, I am, I got really good at delegating and trusting your team and trusting them to do the work and not micromanaging um, and just really having focus. And honestly, above everything else is learning, like just be humble, 
you don't know everything. There's no way you'll know everything. And there's a lot of people that will know a lot more than you about certain things and go to them for help. And that's where you came in. And I've been working with Ali on your team. And I love Ali. If we can clone Ali, we should. Because she helps me run my campaigns and executes the marketing side of it. I have no desire to take it on ourselves. And so working with you has been great for marketing as well, you know, and for me, I think like I always encourage other artists and other photographers, like come up with your own campaigns and something that is aligned to your soul, to your branding, to your studio, something that you really believe in, um, let that fly instead of just, oh, that thing has worked for that studio. So I'm just going to do the same thing. Yeah. How did you, where did you find like uh, most of your weddings and like original, like before we met, like where was most of your, yeah, where was everything coming from? Yeah, it just all kind of happened so fast. Um, I started really working with venues. I work with um, wedding coordinators because this was before Facebook ads really. And um, I think watching my parents network back home in, um, in Indonesia where it's much more word of mouth and learning how to honestly be nice to people, visit them at their studio or at the venue and talk to them, get to know them as people, be authentic, be genuine, form real connections, which I love. Like that kind of grew by itself, just organically and just working with more and more venues. And then learning SEO from the very beginning helped a lot, especially back then and just building, you know, your blog, your SEO pages and forming even more connections that way. And then when Instagram came about, I used Instagram as a vehicle to connect with more people, connect with the people that I really want to work with and just reach out to them and was like, I love what you do. I love your style of your work. And can we work some more, that kind of stuff. So it was a lot of doing. So it seems like you're like super intentional because I know people say, you know, in the Facebook groups, they'll post, yeah, go like network. But yeah. you, and we've even, I've even seen the behind the scenes of like the packages you send people, the amount of like real touch points you have. So like how much effort was that to like build those relations with vendors and venues? A lot, a lot. It was a lot of effort, but I'm also, I was blessed with a lot of great friends in the industry and I built the network that way, you know, and I, I believe in being intentional with everything that you do, who you are as a person, who you want to achieve and accomplish in your life. And I think that also comes from not just being Indonesian, but having a chronic illness. And I was diagnosed with um, early stage MS um, last year. And so I have to be really strategic with what, um, what I want to do, how I want to use my energy, how I want to use my time. And so being intentional is a huge thing. And also just manifesting, but not in the woo sense, but it's like really working hard for what you want and just making sure that comes true and just making zero excuses for yourself which doesn't mean like if I'm tired if my illness has me like fatigued that day I get it but also like in the end you still have to get up you still have to do the work and you're still gonna have to apply yourself and learn and be out there uh I'm actually curious what is like the just the most creative way you've like gotten a partnership or like networked with somebody is there anyone like that you're super proud of that like you thought they were really big or like really valuable and like somehow you formed some sort of connection with them 
It's been like a lot, right? Like, so we also, my partner and I also run a photo booth company and that became its own beast. That was um, never spent uh, dollars on it. That was mostly just on SEO and hugely on networking um, and just like industry contacts. Um, I, we found the software for photo booth and it's a pretty complicated software, Zeep. Um, but it's really powerful. Um, it helps to know some programming knowledge. So for me, it was like fun. It was like another puzzle that I could figure out. And I really wanted to know who was designing the software. And it's just one guy doing it all. And he lives in the UK. And I was like, well, I'm never going to go there, you know, and I don't know what was going to happen. And they have photo booth expo didn't even really know anybody there but he was coming to speak and i like was relentless i was like i want to talk to him i want to tell him how cool the software is i want to see what else i can do with it and kept sending him like emails and little things in the mail turns out he's like a super introvert super nerdy guy and just like tried and tried and then after his talk, he had to move his stuff from the speaking room to his conference booth. Um, I just got up there and lifted his lights and I said, I'm going to help you. So I like carried his stuff back with him and he was shocked. I'm like, don't worry about it. I'm just going to help you. And that was my end. Like all the emails, all the texts, all the messages, it wasn't any of that. It was me actually being there and carrying his stuff and just giving a damn. That's really awesome. Yeah. It's something that's like often overlooked. We just think, Hey, yeah. let's, you know, let's do funnels. Let's pay for ads and like the money will come flowing in. But like, you know, being, I mean, it sounds like you're super selfless with a lot of this stuff. And when you make the connections, I feel like while you benefit the other people probably benefit a lot. Can you talk to us about that? Like, yeah. Why yeah. would, why, why do people want to network with you? Um, I think it is human nature to want to get to other, you know, get to know other people and learn from other people. I think everybody has a cool story and not all of this is not about me, right? It's like, sometimes I'm like, and I think it's part of my spiritual belief and what we're based in. This is what I'm meant to do. Like, it's not about me. This is what the universe is telling me that I'm supposed to do right now. And, um, this is how I serve my community. And that's something that I wake up asking myself every day. It's like, how am I going to serve the people around me today? Um, so in my networking and everything that I do, it's never just about me. It's about how I can, how I can just do what I'm supposed to do every day. I don't know how else to explain it other than that. It's like, we're here for, with a purpose. And I think with my illnesses, given like, limited energy, limited time that has become so much more true for me too, you know, and everybody has a cool story to share and I'm just there for it. That's so awesome. Uh, and right now, uh, out of all the genres, like which one takes up your most time? Like, yeah. Um, so Boudoir takes up the most active time, but I am not, I'm not spending as much time building that because it's kind of like an engine that runs. I'm spending more time thinking about the other genres and launching campaigns or perfecting campaigns to see how we can get that off the ground. Um, 
So it's kind of that way and it changes from week to week. But um, even with Boudoir, I am still thinking about how we can improve things and how I can improve as a photographer is very important to me. And our 2023 focus through all the brands have been the client experience and how to make our clients feel better um, when they're in person with us and just the whole process from start to finish. So right now, that's what I've been focusing on a lot. Yeah. And you would think, you know, you've been in business so long, that should already be done. So like, what's evolving lately? Who we are as a team, what we want to do, and the clients that we got, and the messages that I get, that is like, you know, from the world and from everybody around me and what, what, what they're looking for. And so we're trying to also house everything in the one collective and make a legacy brand. And make photography part of their daily life for our clients who keep coming back to us for all the different things as well and just being there for our clients and serving them. And I know, you know, you talked about like before, a lot of it was SEO, a lot of it was partnerships and you didn't pay too much for marketing. Um, that was obviously very time consuming. What's different yeah. now? Like, do you still do as much of that now that you do are running like paid advertisements? So like what's changed because you have, you know, heavily leveraged going into paid ads? Yeah, I think it also depends on the genre itself, right? Um, you know, I, I don't think paid ads would work that well for my level of wedding photography because the price point is a little bit higher. So for that, we still do networking and for the photo booth we still do networking but then for boudoir and my other different portrait um genres we do a lot of facebook ads and um on google ads also work well so just knowing what your target audience is and what your brand is getting really true and real to that helps a lot then you know the medium that you want to connect with them in right you, you know the language you know the communication so working with you for my marketing and working with Ali has been amazing for that and really helps kind of like feed the engine and keep it going um and then also just like leveraging our Facebook group and our online community and our social media has helped a lot too so I think it's not enough to do one thing right like facebook ads are great it keeps our leads in but then we have to like nurture them we have to get them to know us and then so the community and our social media presence has been great for that as well so how do you like how do you do that day to day how do you nurture day to day like what's your thought process yeah, action we have um a facebook group i think it's at like 9.2 thousand right now and just posing you know posting really fun questions on there and um and engaging with the clients that way we are in, in continuing with our 2023 focus this year with the client experience we're having more client events and like in-person events especially now that we're moving out of covid and just making them feel special and just really focusing on that nice um i will say i had a conversation with um Danielle Tercerio, and she talked about how this year we actually started working together and she'd always been running paid ads similar. She reaches out and she has partnerships with uh, local businesses and stuff. But she said that one thing she realized like she wasn't doing was like connecting with every person. Like she wasn't following up their email. She wasn't messaging people. She wasn't like, she wasn't going much deeper than like, 
you know, hey, a couple contact points and if they didn't book on to the next. So like, right. yeah, how's that? How's that for you? Is it just you doing it? Is it your team? And like, how do you connect deeper with people? Yeah, it's me and my team and the whole team believe in the same values, you know, our business values, our company values are connecting with the clients, actually really caring, like authentically and genuinely caring about people, knowing that what we do does make a change in their life, whatever genre it is, and that boudoir can be really powerful. Um, and so going beyond just like, okay, you're both, okay, you're not going to hear from me again. No, like you should like that's not that's not who we are and that's not what we want to do and so I have a pretty good amount of people that come back um as clients and or they'll have me do their portraits or their family portraits and I think all that like when you're building a legacy brand the only way to do it is to have that connection with people to have that organic connection and building a great brand means that you are eliciting an emotional response in people right and so any way that you can nurture that is great so for me it's through the boudoir group um, the facebook group itself and then um, i'm on tiktok we try to post the stories anything silly anything that happens behind the scenes in the studio is great and oh hot tip if you start posting the treats that you love, like the dessert that you love, your clients will bring you those treats. And then if you post your clients bringing that, more clients will bring you more treats. So we end up getting like quite a bit actually. So yeah. For the record, what is that? What's your favorite treat? Well, uh, we have like boba is great, but bagels is great. But also because of my chronic illness, I'm gluten free dairy-free, um, egg-free. So Josh says that I don't eat anything with a shadow. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, what What is the hardest part about, yeah, about running your business day-to-day -day now? What's I don't know if that's a hard part anymore. No more? What was it? What was it when you were starting? Trying, learning how to be a good leader, I think, is part of it for my team. And that is really important to me. Um, my team is actually the heart and soul of the business. And I now have a hard time saying, I want, I, I do this, I do this, because I know it's a we, you know, so it's a we do this. And gosh, yeah, what is, that is a good question. What is the hardest part now? Maybe just focusing on one thing because obviously I can't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, how do you choose what to work on? What do you what do you focus on lately? I am a list person, and so I when I write down in my notes what I'm supposed to do, it has timelines as well. So it kind of helps me stay in track. And um, my studio manager Kayla was making breakfast. Um, she's awesome at helping me keep track of things too and I tell my clients it's like don't talk to me talk to Kayla she's a mistress that runs everything I'm just here I just work here <laughs> you know and so just being able to have that is awesome by the way I, f I feel like a lot of photographers like yeah they might hire some other things but they might not hire an associate so how does that work yeah. they pay you less for her does she represent like your brand so does it matter who's photographing or how's that work 
No, it, I mean, it, I think it matters who's photographing. And Emily is as much a photographer as I am. And she's our associate for Boudoir. And I'm bringing on uh, portrait associates as well. Um, we're going to start training a couple of the people. And I think that it's really important for them to embody the values that you have in your business and it's your team. You know, like I said, like my team matters to me. So everybody has to like each other and get along. Um, in the studio, we sit like all together, huddled, all our desks are together. One of my girls said it's like a classroom, um, but it feels like a family. But so the associate photographer, Emily, has a presence in our group. We let people know who's photographing whom. And um, so it's not, it's not a secret. It's not just like, you just get your boudoir taken today, your boudoir photos taken today, you know, so. Does that answer your question? Yeah, do, do they have to pay different prices for you? Or? Yes, for oh. us, yes, because because the level of work is still different and Emily is still growing and she wants it that way as well. Um, she doesn't feel comfortable doing it as a, like the same pay. Um, she's constantly learning. I'm, you know, I'm trying to give her as much feedback as possible. And so to me, when she says, I'm more comfortable doing this, charging a different amount still, I have to listen to that. It's not just about me, right? But she's it's char charging a different amount only on the front end or back end too? On the front end. Okay. So she could have sessions where like, she could theoretically like sell more on one client than you did for like- Oh, absolutely. Because she could be doing better with that client. You know, they could have a better connection. If she could just have a magical moment that day. She's done uh, some amazing sessions where I look at the photos after and I'm like, I want to photograph that moment too, <laughs> Damn, you know? So yeah, absolutely. She, I like, I love her as a photographer and I can't wait to see her grow. That's really awesome. Um, how do you go about finding employees? And yeah, how, how do you pick who to hire? What lessons have you learned that made you decide that now? I mean, part of it was just learning the way you pick employees and how you hire. I think in, in the beginning, Indeed has been great. But then following up with interviews and not being afraid to ask really tough questions in the interviews, I think, and having at least two rounds, having um, the assignment was something that I learned from you, um, having them do something, you know, but then the interviews, I think it's a huge thing and just really asking tough questions. So I have a standard list of questions. Now we save it um, in our Google Docs and we just go through that. And some of it is like, what would your friends say about you? What would your parents say about you? What was the one thing that um, your parents had to correct you for that kind of like shook you a little bit, um, but then you got over it? Like something, something like that, I think is a hard interview question. And it's not just what they're saying to answer it. I think it's much more their body language and how they're, how they're thinking, how they're behaving and like, you know, you, you can tell kind of like your body language. Yeah, I'm, I've, I think I've gotten four or 500 applications in the last couple of weeks. I've hired three people in the last, let's mm -hmm. just say since 2023. And I, sometimes I feel bad on the interviews. Like I know I'm grilling them really hard. Um, and I'll even ask them at the end, like, Hey, do you want feedback? Like really what I think? Yeah. And almost everyone says yes. And Obviously, I have a background as a Marine. I've like trained, you know, I have very high standards for the people that work for me. Um, 
but I I have people that like look great on paper and then through the interview, they're, you know, they're like, yeah. yeah, the last job I worked at, you know, red flags for me are like the last job I worked at, I didn't connect with my boss. My boss didn't appreciate right. it. And to me, yeah. those are like really red, big red flags. And the times that I have yeah. like, I've made exceptions and been like, well, this person seems really intelligent. You know, they're going to, that was just that one time. No, they'll come in and like, they'll drag the whole team down excuses for everything and so now i'm to me that's way more um that's way more like of a cringe situation where it's like uncomfortable to like hire somebody and then have to fire them four weeks later so for me i'd rather get that like awkwardness out in the front and then maybe they'll be upset you know at the interviewer hard but at least they weren't processed through our system didn't see everything you know didn't have it on board for weeks just to be like hey this isn't going to be a good fit yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any way that you can be 100% like foolproof, right? There's always some people who slip through the cracks, but let's try to keep that number smaller, you know? And for me, I think it's really important, just like what you said, like ask them those really hard questions, especially when it's concerning your values, because you want them to jive with your team, like your current team, because that's like an asset. That's like one of our biggest assets. Like you have a huge team, so you know, you know, it's, it's hard, like when... The team is up in a little bit, right? And one person affects another person. So I think being really, really brave to ask people hard questions is a huge deal. But I'm also like, Josh calls me no filter because sometimes I I love asking awkward questions and seeing how people would react. I love making people feel awkward sometimes. And I also like, even in my shoots, I have no, like, I have no shame. I'll ask people stuff. And I think sometimes when you take, when you normalize something, when you take the big deal out of something and when you're asking yeah. somebody something, it makes it like, oh, it's not, it's not a huge deal. You're taking off the underwear and I'm going to ask you about your father, you know, so... Yeah, that's really good. Um, so, but you are using a lot of Indeed. Um, that's where we post most of our jobs. Yeah, and then um, you know, I try to keep an eye out. Even if, let's say, I meet somebody in person, I'll tell them to still like, hey, go through the process. This is my Indeed, my Indeed listing, and go through the process because that at least tells me if they can do all the tech stuff that I'm, I'm going to need them to understand, and they can follow those directions and read and like have a resume. So. I'll still at least try to do that. Yeah, I've been really lucky. I've I've hired a bunch of people I know and it's it's you know a lot of people say don't hire people like that, but the thing about people I know is like I know their habits. I know what they're passionate about. I know yeah, yeah. how they spend their free time. So I'm yes. getting people that like I know they love the biggest thing I'm looking for on an interview is like if you're a copywriter or a graphic designer it's really hard to, it's really easy to fake the funk with just school and, you know, formalities. But when I ask you like, yeah, like, so who's your favorite YouTuber in the space? And I know more YouTubers than you in SEO, or I know more, you you haven't heard of these tools or you haven't heard of these like courses, you know, and you're just kind of like, yeah, I read a book for school. Like, I really know that like 24 seven, you aren't thinking about this or you're not improving. Right. You just want a job. Um, yeah. So it's, it's been really cool to just get people because I get people that I give a chance that maybe they didn't go to college for it, but they spend right. all their free time. And yeah, I prefer totally. those people over somebody who like decided they wanted to be an artist at 19 because it's going right. to get a job. I want right. 
person that from 10 years old has been like drawing. Yeah, you want the passion, right? You want yeah. like somebody with the fire. I think your next graphic design um, job interview, you should ask them what their favorite font is. What their favorite font is. That's a good one. Yeah, and then you can judge the font choices. <laughs> no, one thing I did, I hired a, uh, a kid named Justin. He, I was working on a page and I had just gone through revisions. So I'll ask people like, Hey, like, I'm going to share something with you. Tell me what you don't like about it. And this guy like told me everything I liked about it. And then he was kind of like critical about like the landing top part. And he's like, this doesn't make sense. And I was like, perfect. That's exactly what I thought. And he didn't have to match me, you know, but the fact that he could like give me an opinion, um, I was like, this guy's probably going to work out. So I gave him the hiring assignment. And the other thing with the hiring assignment is the people that do it immediately almost always get hired. It's not because they do it immediately. It's just like, that's their personality. So every person I hired in the last, basically like the last three did it the same day. And I, Joel, if you know, Joel, Joel worked like four hours on it and gave it back to me on like a Friday at 11 PM. And like, I emailed her back at like 1130 and was like, Hey, I'm going to give you a job offer. Just so you know, like it's midnight on a Friday and I'm out. But it's the passion, right? It's like totally the passion. And, you know, and, and you said a good thing about Justin. I saw his name actually added to the Slack. And oh, I was like, well, I wonder who he does. Um, but it's also like you want a team that is not just going to be your echo chamber, right? Like I depend on my team for like, okay, so tell me what you think. How is this going to work with your flow? Tell me what you love. Tell me what you don't like. Like, to, you know, show me what you're seeing, right? You want that feedback. And that's what makes a great team too. And I think as a leader, you have to be humble enough, not have your pride and ding just because your, your team member like disagrees with you in one way, you know, like you want, you want to hear that because then you can, you're constantly proofing your own stuff against other people so that by the time something goes live, then you're like, we've got all the problems handled, you know? So that constant feedback, I think from your team is, super necessary yeah and it's so like uh i feel like it matches so well the fact that i put everything all at once and when i wrote that title i thought of just you but now like talking to you i'm realizing like number one you're still a superwoman but like you definitely be able to do 400 different genres if it was just you and like an assistant like you legit have Mm -hmm. full-blown like employees you have people that you give a camera to you have People, you have someone do your sales too, right? Uh, parts of it, yes. And it's I don't, I don't need to do everything by myself, right? Because it's not about me either. It's not, I'm not like attached to all of that, the whole process by myself, you know. And and other people are here to help me get to the place I'm getting to together. So I really, my team is a huge part of me. Yeah, it's really cool. We're actually having uh, like a team retreat next mm-hmm. next month. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, I know. Well, you Ali that. told me because I was like, Ali, are you going to be in Vegas? <laughs> no, I think I might go to Vegas myself. We went. We all went to Vegas uh, mm-hmm. last year, and it was like really cool because we don't work together in office. Right. Everyone's remote now, so it's like cool yeah. to meet people and like, hey, you're not as tall as I thought you were. Or, <laughs> Hey, you're like just as cool in person. So yeah, it's really cool to meet everyone. But you guys all work in the same office? Everybody except for um, Ellie. So Ellie is the one person that didn't go through Indeed. Actually, I completely bypassed that because she was a client. 
had a Medora session, kind of like had that magical experience that changed her life, gave her a lot of confidence, had another Medora session and just really like took off from there. She, her confidence and energy change from her Medora um, session really changed her life and was able to let her leave a, I'm trying to like be really like, I don't want to say too much about her situation, but leave her, uh, make her, give her the energy to leave a bad situation at home. And um, and so she was like the living, breathing embodiment, right? And she was also needing a job that she can do from home because she's a single mom, her, uh, her kids are still young. And I'm at this point where I know I want to empower more single moms in my life and people leaving DV situations because that's also something that I, that happened to me. So there she was and I was like okay the universe is like knocking at my door and throwing her at me and saying you've been saying you've been wanting and our single moms and coming out of these situations for a while now so you need to actually do it you know and so we brought her in as um, the person that does all the calls she works from home um, and we'll get on google meet so that's Ellie and then Kayla actually had to move to New York because her husband is in the army and so she's at Watertown um, and she left not last year the year before last so she'll just patch in on Google Meet oh that's very cool yes we're not all it together but it but, doesn't but, make a difference I think yeah uh I do have a question because this is something that a lot of people doesn't that comes up a lot whenever people are like on the fence with this They'll say things like, well, if you hire people, you need a super non-compete so they can't steal your trade secrets. And then they're like super guarded with everything. And one example, one example I had was like, there was a photographer that hired a kind of like a friend they were like, uh, really cool before. Um, but you know, they ended up losing the person. And when we looked back, one thing I found, and I find this in all, a lot of the situations that happen like this is like they try to limit the amount of hours the person works. They, you know, try to keep them out of parts of the business so they don't learn too much of everything so they can't like leave on their own. And what I find is like they end up siloing the person. They end up making them feel like they're not actually part of it. And then self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Yeah. And then it happens. And then it happens because that person's like, I don't have enough hours. I am like shut out of half the business. I don't have passwords to basic things that I should, right? Like I I don't have a presence. I don't have an identity. I don't have any autonomy. They don't trust me who like you wouldn't want to work for somebody that way or with somebody, you know, like that. And I think that I know that people do that, but it comes from a place of fear. Right. And you're almost like what you were saying. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And I think that like, you need to be able to trust your employee you need to be the first one to trust your employee right and you you i i also don't think you should give them everything at once because that's overwhelming and then they can like have a meltdown and not come back to work you know you you need to set them up for success and give them the tools step by step so for me a lot of that comes back from my dog training if you're trying to teach a dog a left hand turn on a job you can't just expect it to do it in one day you have to build you know, the foundations, you have to tell them, how do you turn left? Which foot do you take first to turn left? Like that's how mechanics work in dogs, right? But you have to break it down to small things 
give them the building blocks and set them up for success. And then the really important thing I think is really get to know your team member and know what their strengths are and what their weaknesses are and play up to the strengths and then ask them also like make them have an active participation in what they want to do and where they want to grow. And so my uh, Caitlin, who's in the studio, I asked her like, so what do you want to learn more? And she's like, I want to learn how to do headshots. And we're like, okay, that's great. But you're going to have to do this and this. You're going to have to tell people what to do and you can't be afraid. So I need you to work on that, you know? And then she's been watching me and things like that. So I think that that component is very important. So with managing a team, there's always the, I was in the Marines. So we use a saying called inspect what you expect. So tell me like, how do you uphold the standard? How do you know that like, if someone's doing a shoot and you're not there, that like things are going, how you design them to go? I mean, you have to give them the proper foundation and like I said, like set them up for success, you know, and give them the crit. And by the time Emily was shooting by herself completely without me, she's had hours of shadowing me, um, shadowing me shoot, me shadowing her, me helping her like right there behind her going, okay, maybe try this and try that. And then also letting her know, like, it's not the end of the world. If you mess up on the shoot, we can have her come back and we'll redo it. It's okay. It's like having a child, like you still have to have, to, you, still, you have to be a parent that is setting your kid up for success, right? So. Uh, it's cool talking to you because obviously you're a master of so many things and I could probably write this whole book about you and make yeah. you the number one case study. But I do want to focus on the last topic and we talked about your partnerships, your, your team, just the standard of work you have for yourself, but Let's go back to SEO because a lot of people, right? They might think either they think it's so simple that it's just like putting your name on the settings of your Wix account. And then some people yeah. think it's like the scariest thing ever because it's technical. So what, what was your take on it? And like, what, yeah, how did you simplify it for yourself? And like, what was your everyday like action with SEO? I think because I started with SEO way back when, when SEO was like, thing um so i've been able to watch it grow and i'm not like jumping into it with all this knowledge that i've learned so that was my advantage but also like anything that is presented to me in the form of a puzzle i love because <laughs> i love puzzles that's why like jigsaw puzzles is a good thing for me so seo for me is like a puzzle and like you do little things at a time you can't do everything and then have overnight expectations and results right because things like backlinks it takes time to do that. So even if it's just like submitting one backlink a day or 10 backlinks a week, um, you know, working on one page a day and like changing your, I'm on show it. So like changing the image name, so ch changing your out attributes or once a week, we're going to write a blog post and SEO that. So having those habits in place, but also having a system and a timeline where it's like, okay, once a week, we do this once a month, we do this, you know, and having that titrate down I think it's for me that's the simplest process because then I know what my what I need to be accountable for and what my timeline is like day by day and week by week so I'm like I'm a big list like check task kind of person yeah and that habit of like um the cool thing about SEO is like a lot of the times especially for the base stuff like sending your page title description I'm not going to say it's set it and forget it forever, but a lot of it is for at least a long period of time. Yeah. Um, and when you do the work once, you know, as long as like the newest things that you bring in, 
right? It's it's not so much like a 40 hour job a week, you know, it might be a little bit right. to wrap up. Um, but having said that, like with the amount of time that goes by, right? Like if, if there's a studio owner that owns a website and, you know, they have assets on it, they have pages, it's daunting to start and get it right. But if you do, then all you have to do is like every month, just do a little bit, right? Be- yeah, because if exactly. you don't, then two years go by and now you right. have a pile of like dirty laundry. Yeah. And now it's hard, but it wouldn't have been yeah. hard if, you know, you just start with the basics and maybe every every week or every month, you just add a little bit more four years later, which a lot of businesses do last, yeah. you know, they're going to be light years ahead of where they were otherwise. Yeah, and I think it's like you and I share the same philosophy. I remember you a couple of years ago saying, at least do something. You don't have to do it perfect, but at least do something because then you've at least started that. And I think that's like for a lot of people, and I know a lot of women photographers have this fear paralysis because they get so anxious and they feel like they have to do it to a certain standard. And that's like the truth is you don't. You just have to do something like what you said. And you can't be paralyzed by that fear and by the anxiety. Well, what if I don't do it good enough? What if I don't do this? What if I don't do that? So it's coming back from like that place of fear and that scarcity mindset, right? Like we eventually have to shift to an abundance and like gratitude mindset because we already have so much. I understand there's a lot on your plate, but there's a lot on everybody's plate, like life just happens to everybody and it's what you make of it. And so you just have to set, sit down and do the work that you, for the results that you want, you know? And I think that's something that a lot of people get so paralyzed by that fear. And I mean, I, I can sit here and be like, well, I'm, I'm really sick, so I can't do all this stuff or I can't do this or I can't do that, you know? Or I could say, you know what? Like F all that, I'm still gonna have an amazing life whatever my doctors tell me, I'll just deal with it. Right. So it's just that, like that mindset switch. Yeah. Um, and I was actually just the cool, I was actually looking at your Google search console and (laughs) me running ads on Google ads. And for, I just see that every click is just worth money, you know, and it seems like SEO is like a free activity and it, yeah, it doesn't cost much to do it. If anything, you know, unless maybe you have some tools or something like that. Um, like it really in dollars and cents, there's a huge benefit in the sense that yes, we're still going to pay for ads, but now we're going to get a lot of traffic, especially with like the long tail, like high intent. I was actually, um, to me like high intent, it's kind of like a weird, uh, just thought process for people. If like, if you're not in the space of uh, SEO, but like for me, there was a time where I was looking for like a wedding officiant right? Somebody to like, help me do all the the legal paperwork and stuff like that. And I would search and a lot of like the, a lot of like the venues and stuff and wedding planners would have like content on it, but it wasn't like very helpful or they were like, just kind of like gaming the SEO game and like, you know, just trying to get my traffic there, but I would like bounce off. So it was almost like they were doing SEO, but like not thinking about the person that was searching. And then I found a guy that like legitimately had all the information I was looking for, like the requirements. One of the biggest questions was like, how long until I get the certificate back? You know, how much does it cost? What fees? What exactly is like the flow? Um, And like, they actually had, you know, when I looked, they had a relatively like simple site, but they like served the user. And they always had that, like, just that thought process to me, at least for them, hey, when somebody searches this, I intentionally want to get my page 
on this topic so that it's relevant to them, not just, you know, right. Books. Yeah. And that's basically what it's all about. That's how brands are even made and designed as you think about the user, right? It's not just about the product, but you think about the consumer. And so that's why in 2023, that's our thing. It's like thinking about our customer and the full customer experience journey, not just when you're in the studio, but from start to finish, because that can dictate a lot about what you're supposed to do. And you're like really good at it because you shifted during COVID for photo booths and you did yeah. virtual photo booths like before almost anyone. And you were like ranking yeah. nationally, not just like locally. So yeah, SEO is free. A lot of it is free. And if you can do it and it's free, why not? Like, I mean, to me, that's like amazing. It's like Facebook groups. It's free. You should use it, you know, and there's lots of um, education out there. For it i think youtube is amazing you can learn whatever you want to learn on it and that's i think we're living in an amazing time where a lot of information is accessible to you and so take advantage of it okay awesome um yeah is there anything else let's just say you know your cousin was going to get in the business what advice piece last piece of advice you'd tell them that would change their lives um just put your head down and do it honestly i think and have fun and and be true to yourself. And it's also funny that you said my cousin because I'm photographing her on Saturday. <laughs> I'm photographing my cousin in Hawaii on Saturday. I haven't seen her in a few years, so that'll be awesome. Where, where are you staying in Hawaii, by the way? Um, we are in Haula. So we're in the island of Oahu, but we're like way off in like the north east shore. But um, we got an Airbnb, yeah, like over there. Um, we got an Airbnb that's waterfront so that I can also do beach shots with our clients. So it's going to be pretty amazing. I'm like, I'm super stoked. I'm so happy. Is that near like this. the North Shore and like the Polynesian Culture Center? So it's like past, yeah, it's like by the Polynesian Center between that and Polar Ridge. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, thank you so much. I learned a lot from you and I hope this story inspires others. And yeah, by the way, thank you so much for having me here, Humberto. No, and by the way, like, you know, definitely need to highlight the fact that, you know, the, uh, the chronic illness that you've had and it hasn't stopped you, even though it might have hindered a little bit. Um, so it's super inspiring to hear that. Thank you. Yeah, it's just now it's like a challenge how I can beat that. <laughs> it's like, it's another puzzle. So. I will say that I, when I was in, speaking of Hawaii, when I was in Hawaii, I got awful time of my life, but I got pink eye and I couldn't see both my eyes were like completely shut. And I'm telling you, oh I, I, I'd never gotten pink eye and I'd never really been like without my sight, but I literally, my eyes were shut at points. Like it was just super blurry. Even when I wanted to focus, I would like run saline through my eyes and my eyes wouldn't focus. And yeah. I just prayed every night. I was just like, please, I will do anything for my health back. Like mm -hmm. the one thing that, you know, you think you want these material things and it's like, no, like having your health, when you start losing it, you start realizing like that is such a huge blessing. Even the basic yeah. take for granted. Yeah, I think being diagnosed was actually a super huge blessing for me because it really made me be intentional with my life and what my priorities and my values are and who the people that were really important to me. So it's been, it's been great. I'm like, I'm not complaining. 
And by the way, I wasn't comparing my temporary to your chronic. No, no, no. I don't feel that way. I think that's a great story because people forget that something as simple as eyes, you just take it for granted until you have pink eye, you know, and I think that's awful. Yeah. Well, hopefully I'll be back there soon and don't take too many waves without me there. (laughs) All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks. We'll keep in touch. Bye. (laughs) 